It's another edition of Soundcheck Flicks. My name is Tim Piles. This show is presented by the Casbah. I've got Graham over there. How are you this week? I'm so ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Kansas, man. So this is in our this is in our DNA. Like I can't even express how important this film is. I know it's an American classic, but if you're from Kansas, it's everything. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> So, yeah, this just means everything to us. And when you land in the airports there, there's murals. I mean, there's lawn ornaments everywhere that are still to this day. I mean, it's it's pervasive. What are we talking about? We're talking about The Wizard of Oz in Kansas. You have to mention what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. We're talking about The Wizard of Oz, man. Like, the greatest musical, in my opinion, ever made. I think Over the Rainbow is the most beautiful song I've ever seen on film. I, AFI agreed with me. They had it number one on the greatest <laughs> cinematic songs of all time. Uh and so when we heard that Mays wanted to do this, it just warmed my heart because I, you know, th- I might have something else that's my favorite movie ever. But if you ask me what I think, it's just the biggest, just most incredible achievement in motion pictures. Yeah. It's 85 years old. And I think it's still the most, just the greatest thing ever filmed. When we were kids, Tim, it used to show on like every Thanksgiving, right? Or I forget, well, I, I, did a little re- I, I did a little research on that before I came in today. And uh, it first showed in 1956 on CBS in... November. Okay. Uh, Subsequently, they didn't show it. It was a very kind of a bold experiment back then because they didn't really show classic or well, it wasn't classic yet, but they didn't really show full movies on TV back then very often, just uh, low budget Westerns and such. So they took a big gamble. They paid $225,000 to MGM to get the rights to it. And they showed it once. It was a huge success, but they didn't show it again for about think eight or nine years and then they started showing it annually usually in january and feb or february and it alternated between cbs and nbc back then um i probably first saw it in the early 60s i can't remember what year i remember we were living in barstow and i remember watching it and everybody gathering around the tv you know sunday night it was a big deal you know everybody just oh the wizard of oz is going to be on so we, me and my sisters and my mom and probably my stepdad at the time watched it. And then every year for many years, we would, we would gather around whatever it was going to be on and just, you know, have some popcorn and watch The Wizard of Oz. I feel like it was a holiday. So it, it was, was around a holiday. It was, like, well, yeah, I mean, it started out that way. Older, but, maybe in the 70s. but yeah, I mean, it was, it was like a holiday because families gathered together, you yeah. know. And, uh, Remember that? Remember when you yeah. did that kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, like everybody got around and watched something that was on specifically at a certain time that yeah, we're going to be right, able to see right. you in well, any other be like time. The Wonderful World of Disney back yeah, then, yeah. too, or Bonanza. Yeah. And those were all on Sunday night shows, you know, yeah. but The Wizard of Oz was, yeah, I, I mean, I was it is enchanted in the zeitgeist by of America. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen it on a big screen? Like, I mean, you watch it on TV at home. You know, I have, think I, don't I, think think I've ever I seen did it in years theater. ago. I, I, if, if. I don't remember if I have or not. I know they do that, do release it every once in a yeah. while. Exactly. It would be re-released every now and then onto the big screen so you could experience it. I did see it once as a child in the 80s. I do remember. Did you? Nice. Yeah. And it looked at glorious up there. I mean, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it'd be great to see it in a theater now with a nice so in 19- crisp redo and the great sound system. But 1956, if CBS is putting it on television, it's, it's all black and white, isn't it? Nobody had color TVs in the mid. No, yeah, and so the and first time it aired on television, so the, the color effect is no just totally lost. Right. And and the color that's yeah. pretty wild. Could you imagine seeing that whole film like that? And they would have a they would have a host back then, um, 
I was reading that Dick Van Dyke was the host one year and they do a little thing about there's nothing wrong with your TV when it makes the switch. Just that's the way the film is. But most people had no idea what they're talking about because it's all black and white. Yeah. You know, nobody had color TVs till the sixties or or later. Mind blowing. It's weird. So aside from the family, you know, uh, feelings that that movie gave you because it you know it brings back all those experiences from when you were young what was it about the film that drew you to it aside from that like was it the costumes was it the performances everything i mean everything in it you know uh, uh judy garland uh, in the first sequence when she goes and meets the wizard well the wizard character who's the gypsy guy professor and marvel pro- professor marvel yeah i mean just that and uh, auntie m and uh the farmhands and who you know all became the characters in her dream sequence or her wizard of oz sequence i mean i love the characters i love the costumes i love the munchkins i love the lollipop killed oh Uh, man those guys singing that song it's just like (laughs) every time just amazing and then i mean the wicked witch and the the flying monkeys who are terrifying still torment the, the wizard himself like a big head on fire on a screen you know just the whole thing the horse of a different color when the they're driving around inside make remaking them and you know giving them haircuts and hoofing them up for the so they can they see had the their wizard. spa day yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it was it was great i mean just we used to re, we, so later on when we had the pink panther we used to show the wizard of oz every christmas at the bar and nice. it would be packed yeah there would be you know people had nothing else to do on christmas night and so after they got their family stuff done they'd come down to the bar and we'd show the wizard of oz and everybody knew all the words everybody sang along Everybody knew all the lines and stuff. It was just incredible. So, you know, it resonates with so many people over the years. And, and you know, like you said, with if you haven't seen that movie before, you're like, <laughs> you had a dismal childhood. Seriously, you lived in Truth. a hole you in the ground. You lived in a rock I mean, somewhere. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I love the music from it. I love everything about it. Just, you know, and I was reading also um, a little of the backstory on it. it it's a parable for... The Rise of Populism, which was a uh, government-type stuff back in the 1890s when he wrote it. And the characters have certain, uh, they're, they're stand-ins for certain things. Like a lot of the movie was The Wizard of Oz, and the Oz stands for ounce, which the gold standard of gold was measured in ounces back then. So there's uh, L. Frank Baum was alluding to at the time they the government wanted to switch from silver gold to silver or silver to gold i don't remember which but oz was the abbreviation for oz the yellow brick road was the golden road uh the wizard represented like the government uh the tin man was the industrial worker the uh scarecrow was the farm worker dorothy was just the regular person caught up in this whole struggle between Farmers and industrialists and the government and, and the <laughs> wicked witches who are probably corporate entities or stuff like that. There's a whole, there's a whole thing about that, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to this day, you know. So, yeah, there's a huge underlying story there that, you know, I, I didn't even think about till a few years ago. Right. You know, I just like I just enjoyed the movie for the fantasy that it was. And I think a lot of people don't know that this is based on a series of books by L. Frank Baum. Right. That was like they it was like the twilight of its time. Like for the kids today, you yeah, can't quite much. understand sure. the reference. Like these books were enormous. They sold millions of copies. And they even took a few turns at the Wizard of Oz on film 
uh, you know, with the silent films and so on. And it just, they sucked. They just weren't there. I mean, they just didn't have the technology to make it the way it needed to be. And 1939 comes along. Technicolor's starting to come in. We're starting to flip over from black and white to colors. And that's where it happens. It was the right time and place. 1939, that's a big gap before people have color TVs. And even they're still making plenty of black and white films through the 50s. And when it came out, it wasn't a huge hit. It was, it did okay, but it wasn't a huge hit. It made Judy Garland a star. But other than that, it was kind of like if they were going by box office numbers compared to what they do now, it would have been It did okay. Yeah. There was a a couple of factors going on there. One of them was that in a lot of theaters across the country, children were allowed to come in for free. So you lost out on some receipts there in some areas. And then also two weeks after this movie's released, World War II breaks out. So I'm like, there were a few. And also a thirdly, back in those days, the studios owned a lot of the movie theaters. So they had new product coming in. So it was almost like we got to rush this old product out because we got Stagecoach coming up or actually the real one was Gone Gone with with the Wind. wind. Right. Gone with the Wind was getting ready to come out, directed by Victor Fleming, the same man. Yeah. How is that for a twofer? I mean, is there ever a better twofer for a director (laughs) in one year than influential wise? Then Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind released within six months by the same director. And when when CBS uh, made that deal to broadcast it, they originally wanted Gone with the Wind. But uh, MGM wouldn't let them do that. They said, we'll give you Wizard of Oz instead. So that's how it became on come on TV, you know. They held on to Gone with the Wind for quite a while. And I don't know what that was all about because I was in video in the 90s and that's when... I remember Gone with the Wind coming out on VHS, and it was a big deal. Yeah. Wow. And it was because they'd been so protective over it and didn't allow a lot of plays of it on TV and stuff. And it was interesting that that movie for a long time was considered to be the better one. And right. I, I think since the 90s, that's changed. I think if you ask people now, well, Gone with the Wind's estimation's kind of gone down. Yeah, and it's still you know? a really great movie and the thing, but a lot of the uh, platitudes in it are they don't sit so well anymore. You know exactly. what I mean? And then you know, hear the stories about Hattie McDaniels being right. set at back tables and yeah, yeah. not yeah. being given her award during yeah. the regular Well, we yeah, find that in that and... 1983 film, Suburbia, we watched recently. There's things that don't stand the test of time too well. Even Judy Garland there. Uh, the Oscar. Let's get to the Oscars. I can't even believe this. So I guess that's why it didn't win a lot of Oscars is because Gone with the Wind was standing in its way. Right. But it was nominated for six. It got two. One rightfully, absolutely, for Over the Rainbow, which was a no-brainer. And then it won for the score as well. But I'm blown away that she gets this kind of juvenile Oscar that they made up and gave to her, <laughs> almost so they didn't have to put her in with all the older women. Right. And then it doesn't win anything for the special effects or the sets or Adrian's costumes are incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. And none of that wins. How? Yeah, set with design. The with yeah, timing's everything. Oh, yeah. But which, I mean, they both have, you know, power over America and, and made us as men. But yeah, Wizard of Oz is just a whole nother level of experience. I can watch that a hundred times. Gone with the Wind. I, I'd have to take a break several times through well, watching. Gone it or, with the Wind's <laughs> much longer movie too, yeah. so it requires a little more more but, sitting then, you know, than watching than the Wizard I of mean, Oz. But anytime the Wizard of Oz, if I'm flipping through channels and it's there, I'm that's what I'm watching. Yeah, you know? I have to be careful with my wife if I'm scrolling through the little program guide and that's in there, and she'll make me stop there. Uh-huh. I'm not afraid to stop there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not either. Do you want to get yeah. into the cast? Sure. Let's talk about Judy Garland. Judy Garland, you know. Uh, 
what how how old was she? Sixteen. 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 I, I yeah. mean, she. Uh, I read her biography a few years ago. Francis Gum. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Pretty, was she from the Midwest? Childhood. Actually, she was a showbiz kid. Uh, yeah. The Gum Sisters performed with her sisters. Yeah, yeah, they were like vaudeville, early theater and stuff. But she had a rough, rough go of it after that, you know. Um, but she was married to Mickey Rooney then later, right? Yeah, wasn't it Vincent Minnelli or something? That I don't know. Vincent there was a Minnelli. number of them. Yeah. Like she had right. several. Yeah, yeah. She, she, uh, she did have a tough life, but she also was the first woman to win the Grammy for Album of the Year in 1961. So she really? had that, she had that for in her cap feather in her cap too. What was what was the Grammy for? Uh, it was some I think it was a live album maybe that she did. Oh, Judy Garland live probably. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I watched the recent biopic of her with uh, Renee Zellweger. Yeah, yeah like I kind thought of it was really good. Yeah. Renee was great. Yeah, she yeah. was really good in it. Um, you know, I like Burt Lahr. He's fantastic. Those, Ray so Bolger. those three vaudeville guys, Ray yeah, Bolger. Yeah. And oh, Bert Lahr and Jack Haley. Right. And originally it was supposed to be Buddy Ebsen, but he was allergic to the makeup for the Tin Man. That story is insane. Right. I mean, he, so he, Buddy Ebsen shows up from the Beverly Hillbillies. That's where most of us would know him yeah, as right. Jed Clampett. Most of us grew up on that. But if you go back and watch some of his vaudeville stuff and some of the films he was in in the 30s, he is an amazing performer on stage, a terrific dancer. Right. And so he's cast uh, as he's an MGM guy. So he's contracted to do this movie. And so he comes in. They shoot the first 10 days and he's got that makeup on and it's filled with lead poisoning. Yeah. I mean, he's getting poisoned in his lungs every single day. Um, they've shot maybe a couple scenes in the 10 days and he ends up. He can't breathe anymore. He gets like emphysema style. He can't breathe. They take him to the hospital and he's out of the picture. All of a sudden he's out and they got to scramble and find somebody quick. He's in the hospital for six weeks in a tent. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and Jackie, Jack Haley comes in and takes over this thing. He also has a tough time. They changed the paint so that it's not quite as bad. And he also calls it, you know, people say to him, you know, I bet you love filming the Wizard of Oz. And Jack Haley's like, it was hell. Yeah. Like, he also, even though they changed the paint, still had breathing issues. So all around, that character was a tough one to play. But those three vaudeville guys were perfect. Yeah, they were amazing. I mean, try to pick... Seasoned performers. Yeah, try to pick one guy that was better than the other. It's... I tried to watching it this morning. And I was like, every time I think it's Ray Bolger, I'm like, dude, Burt Lahr is amazing. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's so great. And Jack Haley is kind of undercover great, too. Because he's in that clunky suit hat yeah, yeah. Right. everything. I don't care. Exactly. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Is there one of those guys you relate to more? Like, uh, I always felt like the Tin Man was my guy. I've know? always been partial to Burt Lahr, yeah. Cowardly Lion, just because his mannerisms, if I were king of the forest, <laughs> you know, he's, that whole shtick he goes through, and then he gets to the, to the Wizard of Oz thing, and he's terrified and jumps out the window, you know? It's just... <laughs> It's genius. And he it's strangely genius. has this Brooklyn accent. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, the noise. Yeah, that's, yeah, the that's noise. right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, I love him all, though. I mean, uh, Frank Morgan is the, yes, uh, is the, wizard. the wizard. Yes, and the Professor Marvel. Yes, he was a great actor, too. He was really well known. He did a lot of stuff at the time. And so here's the fact that I like about his performance in this film he was a bit of a drinker. And if you watch the movie, the, uh, you know, he plays the, the guard when they get to Emerald City. Yeah, right. He's toasted. <laughs> He's toasted in that scene. The, the, they talk about it on one of the making ofs that he had drank a little bit too much that day. And his performance is a little bit more 
you know, eccentric in that scene, and that's why I think. Why didn't you say so? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> slams the window. Well, the stories are that the Munchkins were quite Complete. debaucherous at the right. whole hotel that they <laughs> stayed at, and were having orgies and getting hammered. Police would be called frequently to this hotel, <laughs> and they ended up like creating some kind of netting system to catch these these little like people a net? like a, <laughs> a bird uh, what do they call it again i mean the first time they did it they got sheets from the laundry <laughs> at the hotel to like scoop them up it's so wrong That's i, I uh, i'm i'm a member of the academy of motion picture museum up in los angeles and uh you know it was supposed to open during the pandemic and it got pushed back a couple of years but i went up well a few months after it opened and they had a whole wizard of oz exhibit which was fantastic the yeah. ruby slippers were there wow the witch's hat the amazing photographs of uh what is her name margaret the witch uh, oh margaret hamilton margaret hamilton a beautiful photo of her silhouette with the nose and everything mm-hmm. just an incredible exhibit i uh i loved it and i don't think it's there anymore i think it's been changed out but it was it was really cool to see all these little artifacts from from the actual movie well, when you go to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., the red ruby slippers are there. And, and I remember walking through there a few years ago when I visited, and that was the thing that everybody was ooing and aahing over yeah. and pointing at were those red slippers. Yeah, I was taking, I took a photo of the red slippers there. Cause they were- now, the little people, they brought in a lot of those people from Europe. Yeah. Uh, they were from an acting troupe, and they... Uh, you know, some of them were escaping the war, the war that was breaking out. Some of them some were of them Jewish. Some of them were the big drinkers, yeah, and they were escaping. I wonder if Nazi some Germany. of them were later in Freaks. Uh, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there weren't a lot of little people actors back at that right, time. Right. So There's a comedy from 1981 called Under the Rainbow that kind of sort of documents a little bit of the happenings at that hotel with, with all the little people, the munchkins back right. then. Well, then there's a rumor that a bunch of the Munchkins lived up on Mount Soledad. Don't get me started on that. Like growing <laughs> up, we need to get you started. Let's go. Yeah, well, what's I knew the story? of this, and I'll admit, being Small a kid, houses. I honestly thought, you know, before I was too old to actually get up there on my own, I honestly thought there was like an enclave of Munchkins up there. Hey. But it was two homes, maybe three, but definitely two that they just sat on the hillside a little bit lower than the other ones, so they looked. Like Munchkin houses, but the the legend. I mean, it must have started with some high school kids, and it went far and wide. Now, I think one of the homes is still there. Somebody, somebody physically had one of them moved, and it's in their backyard, like a, as a guest house. But that was that's one of the great stories of San Diego, like urban myth, kind of like the Proctor Valley Monster, <laughs> is the Munchkin houses in La Jolla. And did L. Frank Baum write those books here? Or? In Coronado. In Coronado. So did he write all the books? I mean, we know that the Hotel Dell is supposed to be the Emerald City, kind of. I think he would see that out of the window where he would write. But he wrote, how many books are there associated with it? There's 14, I think. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> well, he must have written quite a few of them here in San Diego, which is it's always neat to hear ties to this town we love so much. Right, you know? right. We played a role in that. Somewhere, somehow, right? But he was writing those when in the late 1800s. Yep. So like, it, that's back when they had tent cities over there in Coronado. And Margaret Hamilton, you mentioned her a second yes. ago. She, uh, she's the last one I think we got to talk about. Well, she's... I mean, this the whole scene of her in the during the cyclone when all of a sudden the music starts. Da, 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 the and then she's riding on her bike, you know, pedaling through the storm. It's just amazing, amazing. Such an image, you know. Yeah. And then, well, as Mrs. Gulch, too, yeah. you know, in the, in the first part of the movie, and you and your dog, Toto, you know, the whole thing, just 
Uh, I got to watch it again because I need to refresh. I my, think in the public and co- like the, in the public conscience, that image of Margaret Hamilton in the Wizard of Oz for decades became a children's ideal of what a witch looked like. Yeah. They looked exactly like her. Yeah. Like that's how indelible Margaret right. Hamilton's the performance hat and the was. Nose and they then actually the broom. had to, yeah, they actually had to cut things down because she was kind of really scary. At the exhibit in uh, the Academy Museum, the, there were photos of the original look that she had and it was like deemed too scary for kids. And they had had an original woman. Yeah. Oh, they had somebody her, else. Right, right. But she was too pretty. Right. And so, Mark, how does that feel when you're Margaret Hamilton, when they come to you and you're like, you know, hello, ugly, we need you. Like, but she crushed it. I mean, oh, when I was a kid, I was absolutely terrified of yeah. witches, and she was the reason. The like, that's how good she is. Yeah. And then let's those... not leave out the Winkies. Yes. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. Is that what they called? Winkies, the, the yes. Winkies. The guards, yes. Oh, I, well, I'm a little upset with the Winkies because they broke my girl Terry's foot. Now, Terry is... Toto. Uh, we can't forget about Toto. I'm a dog person. I love dogs. We got to talk about Terry, the Cairn Terrier. So, there's, a, there's a memorial to him at Hollywood her. Forever. Her, excuse me, at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, uh, right by where Johnny Ramone's memorial is. That is that where well. the dog is buried, Toto? I, no. It might be, or I think it's just a no, memorial I believe piece. the ashes, it's just a memorial. No. I believe the ashes were with the owner. Just, but Just saying that name Toto reminds me of a line in... Uh, wild at heart where they're all sitting around this freak show area and there's uh the dude uh, jack from uh eraser head and uh, somebody's doing a monologue and he goes you may picture my dog toto a little black dog and it's it's in that scene where they're all sitting around talking there's a filming a clown porno movie in the background and stuff <laughs> but anyway so i mean Wizard of Oz. Oh, in that movie too, there's Wizard of Oz. Multiple Wizard of Oz references between Sailor and Lula Bell. You know, there's something I can't remember what they are specifically, but so the movie. I mean, takes place in the cultural uh, mindset of so many different people and different elements and different different films, songs. You know, all sorts of stuff. Just iconic. Yeah, I was surprised to find out that Toto was a girl. I, yeah, you know, I in the knew. research, yeah, Terry, the Karen Terrier. She was a. Uh, was there just one? Yes. Usually on a film. Uh, they, they did have, have a stunt double for a couple of weeks because one of those winkies you just mentioned stepped, stepped on. on her foot uh. and broke her foot, and they had to bring in a stunt Toto for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but stunt uh, Toto. I'm sitting there watching that performance and i'm just like this is the marlon brando of dogs <laughs> like this performance is amazing there's a point in the over the rainbow which is just one of the high points of cinema history about two-thirds of the way through the song judy looks over at toto and toto is sitting there obediently and raises her paw ah two-thirds of the way through the song and judy takes takes the paw like taking her hand it's it's adorable. And I'm just like, that dog is incredible. And so I go in to do the bio and I'm like, that dog is a girl. And then you start seeing all these other movies that he'd been, you know, she had been She'd in. Been really? Yeah. She had like 12 movies in. or something. Yeah. Wow. And so she worked with Spencer Tracy before, worked with Frank Morgan again a couple years later, uh, had been in The Women. <laughs> They're like, like uh, I, I want to work with that dog over <laughs> yeah. there. I don't want any other like, dog. Bring that, that dog, dog I in. I think that dog's the Brando and it's really like the Kate Hepburn, but... <laughs> Uh, props to Terry, the Karen Terrier. I love Toto. It's my favorite part. <laughs> what about your favorite lines, Tim? 
Uh, I mean, there's so many iconic well, lines in this film uh, that are in everyday just conversation. Sure. When you talk to people, you'll hear people all the time say, there's no place like home. Toto, we're not in Kansas. Toto, we're not in Kansas. Lions, anymore. tigers, and bears. Right. Oh, my. Like, these things just become a part of the conscience. Like, Beware the great and powerful laws. I love the... Um, uh, I love the... It's a hor- that, now, that's a horse of a different color. They're watching. <laughs> they're doing the spa thing, and the guy's on a purple horse comes in. Then the next time it comes back, it's blue, and then it's green. And that's just one of my things. And then, you know, not nobody know gets in to see the powerful laws. Not nobody not know how. That's El Frank I mean the wizard, right. Mike Morgan again, right? About, Playing that character. I'll get you, my pretty. And your little dog Toto. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one of my favorites is how about you, Scarecrow? You want to play ball with yeah. a little fire or something like that? Oh, I can't remember. Afraid of a little fire. Yeah. She yeah. just lights Those them monkeys up. Yeah. Still, man, the flying monkeys like terrifying i really, don't see honestly. any strings that scene is yeah. incredible but yeah, even by today's standards you rewatch that scene where they're scooping up dorothy and toto and you don't see any lines and they stomp the the scarecrow and pull out all the stuffing from them yeah no yeah. wires i'm really so impressed by that scene i mean all the backdrops in this thing are amazing now there's the story that in the backdrop <laughs> right somebody hung themselves right one of the crew one of the or or... somebody and you know i've never i'm sure it's been debunked but there's another thing out there that if you sync up Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> and start it right when the movie starts, it kind of goes along with the whole thing. And I've never done that. But uh, I've I done it. You That's have, a cultural and? phenomenon. That's yeah. like what, kids how did was it? Do. It's well, there if you want to see it. Right. Exactly. Stretch, there, right? There's definitely a moment where uh, Galt shows up, uh, you know, because she owns half the county and she shows up at the beginning and that's playing money. I think it kicks into money as she's showing up. To the house uh-huh. so there's a moment like that where you're like okay that's kind of there okay but it's yeah whatever yeah you got some good drugs you can make it happen right but that i think there was the whole his story about the crane in the background we were talking that somehow got mistaken for right a munchkin committing suicide during yeah, the yeah it's a whooping crane or something but they back also there. Talk about like a bird it. yeah but also it's how you see the the film because you know you miss out a lot when it gets shown on television back in the days because you're missing out on the wide yeah, the screen aspect element ratio. and the aspect ratio. So you never saw that crane because the crane was out of shot many times when you're watching on television. Uh, but then you'd anyway, there's a whole that that's one of the craziest stories, myths about the film, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of been debunked. It's, yeah. It was definitely but it was not a crane and that, that a was a live human crane. being. Yeah, no. So was it a crane, a mic crane or a word? No, a whooping crane. Like a whooping crane. They yeah. just happened to fly onto the like set. Like a bird. They had yeah. some animals around for some reason oh. on the set and Oh, I love the um, the apple trees. Oh yeah, yeah. Then there, the hope that whole scene. Great. All of it. I mean, God, everything about it. I mean, it. Glenda. The oh good man. Witch. Oh, if we're talking scenes, that the whole Munchkin sequence. Oh, lollipop. Oh yeah, when the they're lollipop. Everything lollipop there. guild, the lullaby girls, um, the dance, the lollipop guild. We used to, I used to love that. We used to sing <laughs> it, and, and then you know the whole thing where all, they're all gathered around, and then the yellow brick road starts right there, and a little. Kind of a cone, you know, just radiates out from. What was the other the color? Middle. What happens if you followed the other one? I wonder. The red one, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Where does that take you? That's I think a, one of the last living Munchkins actually lived here in San Diego. Really? Yeah. Now I will say I drove to Kansas a couple months ago on some family business, and I drove through Liberal Kansas, which is right in the southwest corner. Now there's no point in Baum's books or anywhere where they actually say what city she's actually from in Kansas. So 
these random little towns have taken to claiming her. Uh. So as I was driving through liberal <laughs> Kansas, there's a, there's a Dorothy's home uh-huh. and there's a cutout outside of, of her and the three of them in Toto. And, uh, it kind of makes me chuckle. Cause it's, I don't, for people who don't know liberal Kansas, like it's barely in Kansas. Like if, if Dorothy went to the back door of that house and threw open the back door and like farted. The fart would be in Oklahoma. Like <laughs> liberal is right on the border with Oklahoma. And like, does that say anything about how liberal actually Kansas is? That it's just a tiny <laughs> I thought you sliver? were referring to the state. It's that is liberal. liberal. I was like, what? Liberal Kansas town. is not liberal at all. <laughs> it's known for a pancake race that they do once a year with an English town that they're a sister city with. And like on the 1st of February every year, they do this race through town flipping pancakes. Like that's their claim to fame. Gotta love the Midwest. Outside of the Dorothy house, which they made up and staked their claim, which is, you know, nobody knows where she's from. They're just claiming it. But she's like 10 feet away from being an Oklahoma Sooner. Like she's barely a Kansan. (laughs) If, If she's from liberal, she's barely a Kansan. So I don't buy that she's from liberal. I always felt like she was more from the middle of Kansas. Is there a conservative Kansas? A city Conserv- called conservative. Well, there might as liberal. well be. The whole state is. But <laughs> I always felt like she, there's 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 these couple cities in the middle of the, where it's all just plains. It's like Hayes and Salina. It's just all a bunch of houses that look like the one that she's in. Right, in the house. Farm so I always felt yeah. I always felt like it was more. She was from the middle of Kansas, probably. I've spent a lot of time driving through Minnesota and, and just seen all that. Like imagine that. I've lived through some thunderstorms and weather in the midwest that i'd never want to experience again that just alone it was just the thunder and lightning that was frightening it really was right i think people happen out, but people out here don't understand twisters quite as yeah, much as we do because you just don't deal with them you, you know yeah. you got other stuff out here and it, earthquakes we don't we never had to deal with earthquakes yeah but and people over there are terrified of that thought but like man i would say uh Tornadoes happen a little bit more frequently. Tornadoes, well, yeah, the odds are a little bit more. Yeah, they're way worse. From April and, through August, if you live in there, you just get used to them. And I laughed rewatching it yesterday. There's uh, Annie M's just walking around the front yard looking for everybody else while you can see the tornado in the distance. And it made me laugh because I'm like, that's everyone that grew up there. Right. You could see a tornado near your house and you're not hiding because you're so used to seeing sure, them. Sure. They just happen all the time. I mean, I remember right. going out when there was one two blocks from my house, tearing up the, the local industrial park. And I remember just standing there in my front yard and watching it. I didn't run for the basement. I didn't run for the bathroom and the interior. And does everybody have one of those storm cellars? No, no, no. we didn't have one. We had an interior bathroom where we would have had to go. Like, yeah, inside and we, and we had a blanket that, you know, we just, we had no a basement in the bathtub. There are basements there, but my house did not have one. So we I was always jealous of a good basement in Minnesota, man. Oh, they're great. If you it's had like having one. a two story house all of a sudden, Wisconsin, that 70s yeah. show. I always thought basements were the best place for bands. I will say having been caught in a bad twister in 91, you don't ever want to <laughs> go near one. I was stupidly young kid, you know, listening to it on the radio. The storm coverage chased after one one time, <clears throat> got caught in it hailstorm had to bail from my car leave it in a ditch and run for a farmhouse that looked like dorothy's and i'm banging on the door as all this hell's coming down around me 
And of course, they're not answering because they're in their basement. <laughs> yeah, they're in their storm cellar. They're where they should be. And my dumb ass is knocking on the door. So I just wrote it out on their porch. Wow. And it was pretty scary. And that was enough for me to be like, don't ever go near one again. Like, those things are for real. Stay away from them. Well, and you've seen the movie Twister, which is there's some pretty gnarly stuff in that. Yeah, that came out about five years after yeah. this experience oh, of disaster mine. movies. Oh. And, man, Twister drives me crazy because they're supposed to be these tornado experts. Bill Paxton, Helen yeah. Hunt. So there's a point early on in the film where they all get chased into this uh, mechanic shop because a tornado's coming up the drive-in at them. And they all jump into this mechanics pit and none of them have their heads between their legs. None of them are shielding their faces from the flying debris. They're all looking wild-eyed at everything as it's yeah. happening. That is nothing that you're taught if you grow up in that part of the country. It's put your heads between your legs and keep them there. Don't look around at anything. You don't want to get hit in the eye with debris. And it always made me laugh that these people that are supposedly tornado experts are exhibiting the non-expert behavior. Well, they got to see their faces. They're paying them a lot of money. <laughs> They're paying, Bill paying exactly. Bill Paxton a lot of money. Right, so, right. but yeah, from a tornado person, they're they're nothing you ever want to mess with. And but they're so common, we just get used to them there. That wind whips off the Rockies, and it just there's nothing to stop it. It's just prairie, and it just gains fuel as it goes along. And that's why they get so bad. And they're so, getting worse. And yeah, getting worse. getting worse. Yeah, more down frequent. Around. Down in Oklahoma City, the more Oklahoma, just south of Oklahoma, they're getting hit every few years. An F5 hits that thing because it's in a tornado path. They got a tornado alley. Yep. <laughs> L. Frank Baum uh, visited repeatedly to Coronado Island between 1904 and 1910. He would stay for months at a time. He wrote at least three books in the Oz series during that period Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, The Road to Oz, and The Emerald City. He also designed the Crown Chandeliers. In the famous crown room. Oh, my. At the Hotel wow. Dell. I did very not know cool. that. I didn't know that either. That's badass. And they are still there to this they're, day. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very cool. That is cool. It's really neat to have something that's so impactful in our lives to later on find out something as cool as he wrote these books here and then just to have the he Hotel Dell, a, a, place, a place we can go that is inspiration for it all, you know? They made this for $2 million at the time, which, you know, we a laugh at A lot of money at, then, right? I know. We laugh at that now. That's a low-budget film now. But in that time, that was a ton of money. I mean, coming out of the Depression and before World War II. I wonder what uh, Gone with the Wind cost. <laughs> <laughs> All those extras. Right. Probably. Battlefield extras. Four or five million. I'll look it up. I was stunned to find out that Louis B. Mayer, who was, you know, head honcho on all of this, that when they, they he used to refer to, to uh, Judy Garland as his little hunchback. Really? He called her his little hunchback. I mean, did are she you have kidding a, me? Some sort of deformity on her she back. She was small. Yeah. Well. She was under five feet tall. She was only four eleven. But he had Lana Turner, and he had all these, you know, bombshell actresses in his stable. And then I guess he just thought that that was cool to refer to her as his little hunchback. Three point nine million for. Gone with the Wind, 3.85. Okay. Oh, wow. So twice as much. Box almost. office, 390 million. December 15th, just in time for the holidays in 1939, it premiered in Atlanta. That was the box office back then or to, through just, today? Just, I, I don't know. I would imagine through today. There, nobody, because tickets right. were dirt cheap back then. Well, it says box office, 390 million. Yeah, but it could be cumulative. It was, like you said, it's been hard to watch it. Huh. Okay. Yeah, box office three hundred and ninety million. 
what else so, we got? Something else occurred to me when the with the whole Munchkin thing. Get back into that. Uh, you know, we, so many films are about these motley crews, like Guardians of the Galaxy, and all these movies we get today. I don't think that they could resist if this movie were made today to leave the Munchkins out. I think one of those Munchkins would have been a rebellious Munchkin that wanted to break free from the community, and he would have joined the crew. Like that—that that would happen in today's <laughs> Wizard of Oz. I think so. <laughs> They don't leave uh, that just laying there anymore. They'll they'll run with that in these days. Dedicated to the young at heart. Yeah, definitely. And then as you get older, it remains in your heart. And, you know, reading about the, the parables involved in the story casts a whole new light on the film. But I prefer to keep it in the young at heart frame of mind myself. You know? I don't need to think about the gold standard or all that stuff that, you know, supposedly really about right and getting back to favorite line i forgot we were doing the lines a minute ago i had i didn't have it written with my other lines i had my favorite line written at the bottom of the page and it's the one that the wizard says at the end and he says a heart is not judged by how much you love but how much you are loved by others that's powerful that's beautiful I mean, it's such a wonderful message to put right there in the end of the film and then he flies off in his balloon <laughs> and then he's like peace <laughs> See you later. Well, and then Glenda drops it on Dorothy that she had it in her all along. Right. You could have went home anytime you felt all like you it. All you had to do was I do miss believe. the moments, though. Like you said, this this was something that brought people and family together to watch this movie. It's not something you, you just remember watching by yourself. You remember the moments of sharing that experience. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people don't have that experience anymore because there isn't something Everybody's we can all get around like that and people are watching things on their individual yeah. screens you know at all hours of the day they don't realize we're lucky enough to you know to live in this lifetime of when we had more connectivity with our our families and our friends you know rather than you think that's what that's going to do but we should have a gathering and all watch the wizard of oz you know have we a barbecue should. or yeah. something show it up there on the screen i also love how glenda constantly rubber rubber stamps the wicked witch of the west like, she just always, huh, you're nothing to me. You know, she's just always like, oh, foo, go away. She's just, she's never phased by her. I mean, she's even, so when she, beautiful. even when she drops the poppy, you oh. know, even when the Wicked Witch is dropping the asbestos yeah. on all yeah. of them, that was asbestos. Even when she's doing all that, Glenda's That's just what like, killed Judy Garland. Yeah, Glenda's just like, all right, I got this. And I love just, it when she first appears in the puff of smoke, right? Oh. Or, you know, Oh, a smell of sulfur. <laughs> <laughs> that is so creepy when she yeah. disappears with that. Yeah. She's gone. She almost died. Well, oh. not almost died, but she was badly injured. Marga oh. Hamilton in that scene where she disappears, the um, <clears throat> she's fire, got, right? Yeah, the fire against her. She yeah, had, yeah. Um, you know, there was that paint. Once again, it was that paint they were using on their faces. And there was Flammable? copper. <laughs> yeah, there was copper in it. And... She she goes through that trap door and she gets about two thirds of the way through it, but her head and the hat are still out when the fire pops off. And so, yeah, she got sent to the hospital with like third degree burns on her hands and a little bit on her face, too. Yeah, I remember that. Because of the pain. So, yeah, she also, besides Buddy Epson, had a hospital visit due to this one. And Victor Fleming didn't finish this movie either. That's another one because he left for which movie? Gone with the wind. <laughs> so who finished it? Uh, they, I don't remember the guy's name. He, they, Victor called up a friend of his that was uh -huh. a, a studio director. And uh, I did see on the making of the, the gentleman he brought in said, I, don't, I told him I don't ever want to claim this movie. This is your movie. 
and I'll finish this out for you. And so he shot all the Kansas stuff, the black and white Kansas stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. That was all the final. Sepia tone. He just did the last two weeks. I mean, he was just, but he does do the over the rainbow scene because it's part of the Kansas stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, Victor Fleming didn't actually film the over the rainbow scene. The the fill-in at the end did. You just imagine seeing that in 1939 in the theaters. I mean, you'd never seen anything remotely close yeah. to that. I mean, the colors. and the, Well, the way I it mean, goes from this gorgeous black and white to just boom, when she opens the door and Munchkin land, that's magical because yeah, it's just crazy. boom. You're, the color is just unreal. But it's not black and white. It's sepia tone, isn't it? Technicolor. It's, it's, no, but no, the, the, the early oh, part oh, in brown. Yeah, yeah. Kansas, yeah. It's, it's like that brownish haze. It's not straight right. black and white. Well, yeah. I'm just saying, you're the nerd about these movies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wait, what else? All we right. Is that about it? Yeah. It's a phenomenal film. It changed our lives. It continues to change people's lives. And, and you know, I'm sure I, I, you showed it to Keith at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's a right of, right of childhood, I, I, yeah. I would imagine, still to this day. It does go through to this day. Um, last week, the NBA draft. I know we're going to get off on a little sports one here, and I know that's not your thing, guys, but... Uh, last week at the NBA draft, there was a Kansas player that was drafted 14th, and he was, you know, a high draft pick, and uh, his name's Grady Dick, and he's wearing a red sequined jacket and <laughs> I shirt. I saw that. I yeah. Saw, I did see that. He's wearing a red jacket and shirt, sequined, and they said to him, why are you wearing this? And he's because I grew up in Kansas, and this is for Dorothy. Nice. And this kid was born in 2004? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how much this film still matters. To this day, That's 85 amazing. years later, <laughs> its reach is still unbelievable. I mean, it's to me, it's the most important American film ever made. Yeah, it beats any fantasy movie ever, and you know the analog, all the yeah. the practical practical sets, and the. I'll things, take this over know? CGI every yeah. day. I mean, like the Flash is a CGI mess. Like yeah. I'm so tired of that crap. Like <laughs> this movie, everything with practical effects is beautiful. I'm loving it. Doing this podcast now is reminding me why we love practical effects so much and yeah. why those movies are so yeah. special. I, I'm loving this. I mean, all of it. The monkeys, the 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 scene with the the tornado it's just yeah, ridiculous the like apples the, yeah all of it the, she gets conked on the head and yeah. know, everything's spinning around and then the house lands on the on the uh, on the witch and her feet curl up when she takes oh, the yeah. slippers off and then yeah, there's so she many gets great, hit by water things in it yeah, i love it i love that the winkies melting. the winkies turn out to be good dudes though you know yeah. like they hail dorothy yeah exactly that was not too bad <laughs> they yeah. just needed someone to break the spell well so, yeah so the they were under the is, thumb i think in the Surrender book the monkeys dorothy. the flying monkeys were uh, inhabitants of that part of oz and they became kind of enslaved by the witch and to do her bidding yeah, you yeah. Know? They, they they were very intelligent race of monkeys sure and then they got you know somehow into her clutches and that's why they you know did what they did but, but yeah once she melted they were all thankful. everybody's free yeah 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 well unfortunately judy garland passed far too young and she had kind of a rough life yeah definitely. throughout the rest and it's interesting that recent film that kind of covers the end of her yeah kind of having a big comeback but it ends she up did being, give us liza yeah, yeah, Liza Minnelli. We got the wonderful Liza out of all of that. But super fun. Great film. Thanks for picking it, Tim Mason. Oh, yeah. Hey, we have a big anniversary coming up at the Casbah. 35 years? Uh, I've heard some rumors of some 
shows happening. You have? <laughs> nothing, nothing specific, but do oh. um, you have any fun you plans want you want to share? Well, I, I can't really say anything yet, okay. but I'm talking to a lot of people. If it's anything like the 30th and the 25th, it's going to be hot. I'm hoping it's going to be like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of different people, and reception seems to be pretty positive so far. So, X? <laughs> talking to them. The Melvins? Um, the who? The Melvins? Talking to them, too. Uh, <laughs> trying to think of an unusual suspect, not the local ones. How about uh, Dinosaur Jr.? Yeah, not talking to them. No. <laughs> no. How about Gogo Bordello? They should come back and play. You know, it. those are great ideas. No, you have out. all the great ideas. No, I'm just, those, those are good ideas. I, you, I, you are I, our Wizard of Oz, Tim. <laughs> you are. Crash Worship. Right. Yeah, that would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah, this is a very important place to me and a lot of people that have grown up in San Diego from going to the shows in the 80s to the Pink Panther to... I know, I'm These, looking at all that stuff over there. Yeah, just like, you've helped shape yeah. a lot of lives in this town and inspired a lot of people well, and... Giving the people a platform. We'll uh, we'll put something good together for sure. Yeah, that's exciting. So and you're giving us a platform with this podcast now. Yeah, well, and this I can't is, thank you enough for I'm, this. I'm glad it's off the ground, man. It sounds. I mean, just we'll from going, the you know? subject matter that I've heard you guys have done so far, it's great. I mean, yeah, we got jet planes a, flying over. Yeah, well, you know, you know we we're like the Starlight we Theater. You know, we just raise our hand <laughs> yeah, and right. we pause. We need a green light over there, but <laughs> we know, need a spotter. The, all the subject matter is so diverse too. You know, I mean. You never know what anybody's favorite film's going to be or what they want to talk about. Well, so. the cooler thing is how many times have you been interviewed about this place or your restaurant? Yeah, never about or, a movie. But something you actually really are yeah. passionate about. And yeah, it's a nice, fresh take. I love it. I love cool. it. I can't wait to, to actually see, hear, hear the stuff. Did you see somebody put googly eyes on Jesus Christ <laughs> no, behind I you? I didn't see that. <laughs> oh, that's great. You got the everything everywhere treatment. <laughs> that's nice. Exactly. This has been Soundcheck Flicks with Tim Mays presented by the Casbah. Thanks for your support, opportunity, and just legend. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. You did a great job. Thank you, Tim. All right. Hello, SCF fans. Let's commit some crimes. Let's get sushi and not pay. Next week, it's Repo Man with our special guest. <laughs> That's always the surprise. Tune in for another edition of Soundcheck Flicks. Repo Man.